Hello, everybody. It's uh, Brother Kapow. Today is Sunday, April 7th. Man, I got, man, I'm excited about today's show. I really am. This is meat and potatoes, folks. This is going to get your juices flowing. I, I guarantee it. I guarantee it's going to get your juices flowing. It's going to get your thought process sharpened. You know, iron sharpens iron. Let's sharpen each other. You're going to start thinking about stuff maybe you haven't thought before. I want you to think about it. I want you to go beyond tra- the traditions of men and what you may think may be or what you've been taught. And we're going to go deep, man. We're going to go deep and we're going to we're going to use Second Ezra, Second Ezra's. That always that always trips me up or Fourth Ezra. I'm just going to call it Ezra, okay? Fourth Ezra, make it easy on myself. And we're going to we're going to read chapters Three and four today. We're going to read chapters three and four. And I'm going to show you the parallels in the New Testament writings. I mean, I'm not just talking, well, they used a word and here's a word. I'm talking this, the entire concept, almost verbatim, but it's not verbatim word for word, but the concept is the same, used by our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, and given to John the Revelator by the angel of Jesus Christ. This is, it's amazing, amazing stuff. Once again, let me reiterate, the book of fourth Ezra is from the second temple period. This is written in that 400 gap between Malachi the prophet in the Old Testament and the gospels in the New Testament, 400 gap. 400-year gap, it was anything but silent. It was not silent. There was so much going on, a lot of writings. The book of the the Maccabees, uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4, history was happening. Uh, there was so many Jewish things and writings going on. There were no prophets. The prophets had ceased to prophesy during this period because they had prophesied the destruction all the way up to this point. Amos, Malachi, Jose, Jose, um, Abukuk, uh, on Jeremiah, you know, on and on. And it was prophesied that it would, they would go silent. In fact, Daniel prophesies that himself. There's no prophet. And, you know, when you understand that, when you see John the Baptist, when you read about John the Baptist coming on scene in the Gospels, that's what was so amazing because he was the first prophet of God in 400 years. And he was the one who, was a forerunner and proclaimed our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Savior, by his own blood, his own sacrifice, who imputed righteousness upon all of us who will just believe that he done so and will have faithfulness in him. Not just believe in him, but faithfulness in him. And I'll get into that, right? So it's a very important time that this was written so it's 400 it's it's 400 years before Christ is on scene just about and so in our timeline you got about 2500 years ago so it's an ancient jewish writing ancient jewish thought and what i want to show you today is meat and potatoes it, this is this is very deep okay you ready for steak let's put the milk right let's put the milk of the word all let's put all the happy clappy stuff in a box and give it to the children's foundation. All right. Let's let's put away the toys. Let's put away the milk 
and cookies. What I'm about to give you today is meat. This is steak. You're going to need a steak knife and a fork because this is delicious. And it's heavy. It's deep. It's a big, heavy meal. And it's going to sit in your gut. What I want to do to you today is I want to stimulate your brain. And I want to stimulate your spiritual person in you. I want to stimulate that spirit of Christ in you. And I want you to start thinking out of the box. I want you to start thinking out of man's tradition, thinking about what you what you were taught and thinking beyond that. I'm not asking you to agree. I'm not asking you to affirm. I'm not asking you to blindly accept. What I'm asking you to do is be mature enough to think about it. Be mature enough to use your logic and your spiritual wisdom and say, can this be true? If you do that, there may be, just maybe, incredible doors of God's wisdom opened to you. All right? So just hear me out. As I read this book, we're going to read from chapter 3 and 4 today from the ancient Jewish book of 4 Ezra. As I read these chapters, when things coincide, and there's a lot of things that do, but these are the things that jump out. When things coincide to New Testament writing, and I'm not just talking a word. You know, Ezra writes tree, and then I go back and go find every time there's tree in the New Testament. That's not. This ain't that. When I refer to the New Testament, I'm going to prove to you the exact concepts verbatim are then replicated by not only our Lord Jesus Christ, but the Apostle Paul and to the angel that revealed to John the Revelator the book of Revelation. This is all prophecy. The spirit of Christ is prophecy. He who has ears, let him hear this. This is amazing stuff. And when you get done, I, I, I honestly pray that your spirit will be so energized. You'll be so fed with real nutrients. Okay, it's time to put away the sugar food. Okay, I, I know y'all like the sugar food. Hey, we all do, right? <clears throat> we all like the sugar food. Mm, 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 delicious. Got to put that away because eventually it's going to kill us. This is grain. This is a grain offering that the Lord has given us. This is nutrients, spiritual nutrients. This is from God. You're going to love this if you have ears to hear, okay? So that's where we're going with it. So hear me out. Don't cut me off. Don't, you know, just all of a sudden, oh, he's saying this and this is crazy and, you know, typical. Hear me out, man, because you just might learn something here. You just you just might pick up some of this wisdom. And I'm not trying to be condescending. Please forgive me if I sound that way. I'm not saying you're stupid and can't pick it up. I'm, I'm saying our, our human nature, mine, mine, me, we're so locked into what we think we know in our traditions and stuff. Sometimes it's hard. Oftentimes it's impossible to break it out. But the Lord who reveals all secrets, right, and, and shows you things can bust you out of that if you have a teachable spirit. 
is have a teachable spirit, okay? Berean it. Berean it. You you say, hey, if, if what I'm saying here in, in this, this ancient book is not biblical, berean it. And you and you you prove that it's not, all right? Or prove that it's so. Do your homework. Um but I think you're gonna like this because you know, really, Kapow Radio Show listeners, come on. You are a, a mature disenfranchised audience for the most part that's tired of the world systems and apostate religion. Are you not? Yes, you are. Okay. Shall I begin? Let's do that. Chapter three. Okay. I shall read this and then I'm going to read a little bit and then I'm going to go and I'll do the commentary. In the 13th year after the destruction of our city, I, Salathiel, who am also called Ezra, was in Babylon. And I was troubled as I lay on my bed and my thoughts welled up in my heart because I saw the desolation of Zion and the wealth of those who lived in Babylon. My spirit was greatly agitated and I began to speak ancient words to the Most High. And I said, O sovereign Lord, didst thou not speak at the beginning when thou didst form the earth and that without help and didst command the dust and it gave thee Adam a lifeless body? Yet he was the workmanship of thy hands and thou didst breathe unto him the breath of life and he was made alive in thy presence. And thou didst lead him into the garden which thy right hand had planted before the earth appeared? And thou didst lay upon him one commandment of yours. But he transgressed it. And immediately thou didst appoint death for him and for his descendants. From him there sprang nations and tribes, peoples and clans without number. And every nation walked after its own will and did ungodly things before thee and scorned thee, and thou didst not hinder them. But again, in its time, thou didst bring the flood upon the inhabitants of the world and destroy them. And the same fate befell them as death came upon Adam, so the flood came upon them. But thou didst leave one of them, Noah, with his household and all the righteous who have descended from him. When those who dwelt on earth began to multiply, they produced children and peoples and many nations. And again, thou began to be more, they began to be more ungodly than were their ancestors. And when they were committing iniquity before thee, Thou didst choose for thyself one of them whose name was Abraham. And thou didst love him. And to him only didst thou reveal the end of the times secretly by night. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Because I'm going to 
First of all, I want to say that when he talks about Noah and his household with all the righteous who descended from him, he's not saying every person who descended from Noah was righteous, but righteous men and women descended from Noah because all of us have descended from Noah because he was uh, uh, saved from the flood. Okay, number two, Abraham. And it says, and thou didst love him, and to him only didst thou reveal the end of the times secretly by night. That's not something we're normally taught, are we? That Abraham was shown in time prophecy. What we would consider in time prophecy, end of the times. But according to Ezra, God revealed this to Abraham by night. Isn't this amazing? Now let me say something. In Revelation 19.10, it says, John's writing, John the Revelator's writing, and he's talking about the, this angel of Christ that's revealing stuff to him. And he says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. What does that mean? You have the witness of Jesus. You have the witness of Jesus. And he says to John, worship God for the testimony or witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus Christ himself is the spirit of prophecy. And here we have Abraham being shown the end of times by God secretly at night to him. All right? Let me continue. Thou didst make with him an everlasting covenant and promise him that thou wouldest never forsake his descendants. And thou gavest to him Isaac, and to Isaac thou gave Jacob and Esau. And thou didst set apart Jacob for thyself, but Esau thou didst reject. Jacob became a great multitude. And when thou didst lead his descendants out of Egypt, thou didst bring them to Mount Sinai. Now, Thou didst bend down the heavens. I, listen to this, folks. This is amazing. Thou didst bend down the heavens. Think about that. And shake the earth and move the world and make the depths to tremble and trouble the times. I don't know. I can't you know, sit here and tell you exactly what all that means. But the sense that I get is that what happened on Mount Sinai was a whole lot bigger than what we understand happened. Okay. Troubled the times? I mean, come on. Moved the world, the cosmos, and the earth shook. Bent down the heavens, the depths trembled. This is heavy stuff. Because it explains why the people were saying, you go talk to God, Moses. We can't. We're scared. We're going to die. Heavy, heavy stuff. Verse 19, and thy glory passed through the four gates. Here are the four gates of fire, 
and earthquake and wind and ice to give the law to the descendants of Jacob. This is the written commandments. This is the the ones that were written on the tablets, the law to the descendants of Jacob and thy commandment to the posterity of Israel. Yet thou didst not take away from them their evil heart, so that thy law might bring forth fruit in them. Okay, I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to break this one down. I want you, I want to show you something here. He says he's talking to God. Ezra's talking to God, and he says, "Yet thou didst not take away from them their evil heart." He's talking about original Israel that God had called out to be His prosperity, His peep, His His posterity. I'm sorry, to be His people. And he says, "So that thy law might bring forth fruit in them." What does that mean? that thy law might bring forth fruit in them. That God's law that was given to them might change them, that they may obey God's law even though they had an evil heart, that they would choose to listen and obey God so that fruit would be brought forth in them. See, it's that free will, right? So, the question is, I think a lot of times is why didn't God just, you know, like just save them and change their heart, change their, you know, why are they still sinning? God didn't take away from them their evil heart. And the, the reason is, is that they could choose so that the God's law might bring forth fruit in them. So if they chose to, to be obedient and obey God's law, they would be fruitful. If not, they'd bring a curse on themselves. We all know that from Deuteronomy 38, so on. So what I have here, uh, go to my notes here, is we have an evil heart. We have Jesus himself saying that the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And and those, those are the things that defile a man. Do you remember that? This is where Christ was. Um, this is where Christ was being accused, you know, uh, of his his, um, you know, his, uh, you know, his disciples weren't washing their hands or whatever, and blah blah blah, and they were saying, you know, how, you know. It was, it was all ritualistic law, see. By the time it got to Jesus' day, it wasn't God's law anymore. It was man's traditions. They added all this ritualistic, legalistic, Hebraic law. And Jesus says to them in uh, Matthew 15, starting with verse 16, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is eliminated? Yeah, you poop it out, right? And in verse 18, he says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. That's what Ezra had written 400 years ago. Their heart was evil. And Jesus says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, idolatries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. 
These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So you might think, well, Ezra wrote that 400 years ago, right? And so that was common knowledge. Jesus is just reiterating common Jewish knowledge. But nay, nay, because he explains the parable to Peter, the heart of man. There was a parable into that. And he explains it to Peter because Peter didn't understand it. And Jesus says to Peter, are you still lacking in understanding also? And then he explains that the heart is evil. So it was not common Jewish knowledge. But yet Jesus, almost verbatim, I'm talking not words verbatim for words, but in the concept and the thought, says the same thing Ezra said 400 years ago. That they had an evil heart. All right? That's what... God was saying, God made flesh was saying, and that defiles a man. And let me continue. Ezra, in verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21, says, for the first Adam, burdened with an evil heart, transgressed and was overcome as were also all who were descended from him. Thus the disease, I love that. Thus the disease became permanent. The law was in people's hearts all along with the evil root. But that was, but what was good departed and the evil remained. You understand that? So Ezra's saying that Adam was burdened with an evil heart and he transgressed. He disobeyed God and he was overcome by Satan, you know, by Lucifer, by the light bearer, the reptilian. He was overcome. And not just him, but all of us, you and me, who were descended from Adam. We're all we're born overcome. We're born with an evil heart. This is important to understand. This is an important concept because it's not humanism. This does not elevate the human at all. This debases the human and puts us exactly where we should be, an evil debased creature born out of transgression from our first father. On this lack of a better word, prison planet, or prison earth, but it's not a nice simile. Verse 22, it says, thus the disease became permanent. It became permanent. Our sin has become permanent. And the law that was in our hearts, people's hearts, along with the evil root. So there was two. Doesn't Paul talk about the two natures in him, that, that there's a war going on inside? Do you remember that? You remember reading that. You remember hearing this. The Apostle Paul talking about there is a war inside of him. There's, there's good and evil. And what he would do to, to do good, he will do evil. And when, when he don't want to do evil, he, he still does. And there's a, there's a, because there's an evil root. And Ezra's saying, but that which was good departed and evil remained. It had remained. 
And in Matthew 13, 25, we read, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. There's an evil root in all of us, you know. And this evil root, let me take you to Romans 3, 23. This is such a great chapter. I, I, I should read more. But Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apostle Paul's writing the same thing Ezra is saying. All have sinned. There's an evil root. Now, I want to ask you a question here. How many of you, when you read this, what do you think of when you, you, you hear the term fall short of the glory of God? We've all sinned. Here's God's glory up here. Let's say God's glory is a 10. Well, we fall short of that. We're, we're a four or five, right? That's what we normally think of. But do you know that if you, you get into the Greek of this, the glory of God, the glory of God is the doxa. It's the opinion it's the praise or the honor, the approval. In other words, we've fallen short of God's approval. We've fallen short of God's praise. Because we've all sinned, God cannot approve us. That adds a whole different concept, folks. But that's that's the way to look at it because the rest of this chapter in Romans talks about what Christ's free gift justified as a gift by Christ's grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ. The shedding of his blood publicly as a propitiation changed this because now we have the righteousness of Christ when we exercise faithfulness in him. Not faith just as belief. Oh, I believe in Jesus. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about bestio or pistis. Faithfulness. You got to be baptized in him. Baptized in him. You have to be alleged and aligned with Christ. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your spirit. He who have ears, let him hear. Let me read this justification by faith, Romans 3.21. But now apart from the law, see, Paul's talking about the law. He's talking about the written law that God gave Israel. Because through the law, Paul writes, comes the knowledge of sin. Isn't that what Ezra just said? so that thy law might bring forth fruit in them. You didn't take away from them their evil heart, so that thy light might bring, your law might bring uh, fruit in them. Why did he say that? Well, Paul says the same thing. Paul just said it. Over 400 years later. Because this was ancient Jewish thinking. This is, this is, the process. They understood these things. That's why Paul writes, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Because we've all sinned. We've, we've all sinned and we're short of God's approval. 
God can't approve of us. We're sure to, he can't praise us. We suck. For through the law came the knowledge of sin. It, we, we realized we suck through the law. We can't do this. But now, apart from that law, apart from that law, righteousness of God. You know what that means? His right, stand, his right standing before him. It has been manifested. It's revealed now. And it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the law and the prophets spoke about our Messiah that would not eliminate the law. Don't think that he came to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What he did fulfilled the law for our behalf if we have faithfulness in him. Paul continues, even the righteousness of God through faith. The word is pistis. It's faith or faithfulness, proof or pledge. Even the righteousness of God through faithfulness or proof in our Messiah, Jesus Christ. For who? The whole world? For everybody? No. For all those who pestio to entrust, to believe, believers, to be entrusting. That's right. Baptized into Christ. You understand? It's not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. It's, I believe he is the son of God made flesh in the only way. And I understand and believe what he did for me and that I am a rotten sinner, but because I believe in his work and I am justified now, God can approve me through what Christ did for me as a free gift and not any working of the law. You get it. That's the righteousness of God through faithfulness in Jesus Christ for all those who have faithfulness. Not everybody. Paul says, for there's no distinction. There's no distinction among any of us. There's no distinction between the Muslim or the homosexual the pedophile, the, uh, the child killer, the dog killer, the wife cheater, uh, the tax evader. There's no difference for all have sinned and all have fallen short for God's approval. All of us. But if you believe faithfulness in Jesus Christ, being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption, which is in Messiah. And Messiah, God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a sacrifice in his blood through faithfulness. And you know why he did this? It was to demonstrate his righteousness because the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Not your personal uh, sins, the sins committed before Christ did this. 
when we were under the law. He forbear, he, he was forbearing, long-suffering because he knew he was going to provide a way out for his creation. It's heavy, heavy stuff. It's heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. And it makes you realize who Christ really is. That's why you always hear us harping about the false Christ and the Cheez-Its and the pseudo-Christ that modern cultural Christianity worship. And we keep saying it's not biblical because this is the biblical Christ. We all suck. But Christ, through his blood sacrifice, God made flesh, has made us a way to be approved by God if we have faithfulness in him. All right? So, verse 23, back to Ezra. Fourth Ezra, verse 23, in chapter 3, he writes, So the times passed and the years were completed, and thou didst raise up for thyself a servant named David. And thou didst command him to build a city for thy name, and in it to offer thee oblations from what is yours. And this was done for many years. But the inhabitants of the city transgressed in everything, doing as Adam and all his descendants had done, for they also had the evil heart. You see the pattern here? Humans have an evil heart. There's something sown in here from the garden, the day that Adam partook of a forbidden fruit, the, the fruit of that command, the disobedience of that command of God. And that serpent came in and created that serpent seed. Transgressed, just like everybody. So thou didst deliver the city into the hands of thy enemies. So now we're back currently in Ezra's time in Babylon. So thou didst the city to the hands of the enemies. Babylon. Then I said in my heart, are the deeds of those who inhabit Babylon any better? Is that why she has gained dominion over Zion? <clears throat> so Ezra here is asking, he's asking a lot of questions, which is good because he's asking questions we, we would be asking. <laughs> and he's saying, here's, he, he takes God through this whole process from the beginning of Adam all the way through Abraham, Noah and Abraham and Isaac and uh, you know all the righteousness and everything and David and Jerusalem. You know, and he admits, man, you know, we, we've all had an evil heart. But then he says, here I am in Babylon and they're prospering. I see the deeds of these wicked people, and they're not any better than what we did. So, so why do they have dominion over us if we're your people, right? Have you ever felt that way? You know, here you are a Christian, but you see, you see the guy at work who's just a total tool, right? He's a womanizer. He's a boozer. He's partying with the boss. He's just a punk. He doesn't even do a good job. He's just a, a tool, Right, and he gets the promotion. He gets the good stuff. He gets the corner office. He gets the great parking space. Whatever you know, and you see it, and then you hear people talking about you. Oh, he's a Bible thumper, or they make fun. You know, 
of you, you know, because you don't go do what they do. Uh, this is these are questions that have been asked thousands of years. Why why are they any better? Than, why are we suffering and why are they better? Right? Because he says. He goes on, he says, for when I came here, Babylon, we're in Babylon right now, are we not? We live in a Babylonian beast system, do we not? We can relate to this. For when I came here, I saw ungodly deeds without number. And my soul has seen many sinners during these 30 years. So that tells us Ezra had been there 30 years. Remember, they're in captivity for 70 years, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah. Daniel was reading this in Daniel 9. So here he's halfway through it when he's, he's writing this and asking these questions. And he says, And my heart failed me, for I have seen how thou do endure those who sin and hast spared those who act wickedly and hast destroyed thy people and hast preserved thy enemies and hast not shown to anyone how thy way may be comprehended. So here's a history. It's, it's, it's hilarious because he's just throwing up his hands to God going, I don't get it. How many of you have said these things? I said them numerous times. I've looked around and said, how could this guy prosper? What's up with Michelle Obama getting a $6 million book deal and I can't sell three books, Demons in My Marriage Bed on Amazon to just educate people? I, I You know, you ask, how come, you know, how did that song, how come everybody's listening to that stupid song? I wrote a real heavy song about, you know, the end of the world and the great rock falling and no one listens to it. You know, I mean, over and over again, I know you have the same kind of thing. Oh, no, listen to my podcast. You know, this idiot, all he does is give sugar and sweet crap to people and they love him. Yes, the same thing. Why, God? I don't get it. My heart's failing me. I don't understand why you, you spare those who are wicked. I know they're wicked. How come Joel Olstein's a multimillionaire, you know? And, 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 and how come he's successful? That's why he's asking all these things, right? You preserve the enemies, and you have not showed to anyone the comprehension of that. None of us could understand that. And he says, are the deeds of Babylon better than those of Zion? Really, seriously, God, Joel Osteen's, Joel Osteen is doing more of a better work for you than, than I am. Seriously, honestly, really, Jesse Duplantis, uh, really, Paula White, Paula White, her hippie lippy Paula White, right? She's doing, she's doing better than Kapow Radio Show. Well, everybody knows Paula White. She's a multimillionaire. She, she lays hands on President Trump. No one knows Brother Kapow, or they don't want to know him. I don't blame them. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm using these as examples. I'm sure you've done the same thing. I know you've done the same thing because we're human and we don't understand it. And Ezra, Ezra, fortunately, has asked these questions, you know, 2,500 years ago. And he got the answer. This is nice. And he continues, and he continues kind of really berating God. He says, or has another nation known thee besides Israel? Or what tribes have so believed thy covenants as these tribes of Jacob? In other words, yeah, we screwed up. We have an evil heart. But man, you know, at least, at least we, we tried. We had covenants. And he says, yet their reward has not appeared and their labor has borne no fruit. You know, what's the sense of serving you? We're in captivity now under these idiots. And he says, for I have traveled widely among the nations 
and I've seen that they abound in wealth. <laughs> so he must have seen Oprah. <laughs> he must have seen all the politicians, all the liars. He must have seen the Rothschilds, you know, on and on. Share. <laughs> and he, he, he sees that they abound in wealth. Though they are unmindful of thy commandments. They don't care. Snoop Dogg doesn't care about the commandments of God. He just sits around in his hot tub with all these chicks and smoking herb and drinking and enjoying all his money. And so Ezra continues, he goes, Now, where, therefore, weigh in a balance our iniquities and those of the inhabitants of the world. I, I'm, I want you to judge. And so it will be found which way the turn of the scale will incline. Who's, who's more righteous, them or us? Yeah, we screwed up. We have an evil heart, but my gosh, you know, we, we, you gave it to, we try, and these guys don't even, don't even have it. They never even tried, and yet they're wealthy. And he goes on in 35, he says, when have the inhabitants of earth not sinned in thy sight? Or what nation has kept thy commandments so well? You know, like us, like Israel. What's wrong with you, God? And then he says, thou mayest indeed find individual men who have kept thy commandments. Sure, there might be a good, you know, there might be a good Babylonian somewhere. But nations, <laughs> thou will not find. You're not going to find another nation. So you can sense his frustration in this. You can sense his frustration. Um, and, then, and then he's going to be answered by God through an angel, Uriel. All right? He's going to be answered by God. And uh, it's quite interesting where we go from here. But let me take a short commercial break and get a drink of water. And then I'll be right back and we'll continue on. How many of you remember the story contained in the book of Acts, chapter 19, where there were seven sons of Sceva, and they were trying to cast out a demon because they saw the apostle Paul doing great miracles through God. So they tried to do the same thing. So they go up to this guy who's demon-possessed, and they say, we adjure you by this Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Yeah, and guess what the evil spirit did? The evil spirit answered them and said to them, hey, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And guess what? The man that had the demons jumped on him, beat the heck out of him, subdued him, overpowered him, and they literally fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. Guess why? Guess why? Because they did not go to Amazon.com and buy demons in my marriage bed a true story of spiritual warfare the book is not about you being married or single the book is about dealing with demonic forces and you need to know how to do that today more than you ever have for your own life and for those around you the book is a training manual and there's training in there that will teach you how not to be the sons of Sceva and get beat up by demons. It will give you the tools for you to be recognized by them because they'll know that you're exercising the authority that is given to you through Christ. You need to get this book. Continue on uh, this beautiful study. Let's go. Uh, we're in chapter four now. 
in uh, fourth Ezra. And it says, then the angel that had been sent to me, whose name was Uriel, answered and said to me, your understanding has utterly failed regarding this world. And do you think, whoops, do you think you can comprehend the way of the most high? Then I said, yes, my Lord. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I can comprehend it. Lay it on me, baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ezra, man. Uh, and he says, yeah, yes, my Lord. And he replied to me, I have been sent to show you three ways and to put before you three problems. If you can solve one of them for me, I will also show you the way you desire to see. And I will teach you why the heart is evil. There's our theme again. So Ezra says, speak on, my Lord. And he said to me, go weigh for me the weight of fire or measure for me a measure of wind or call back for me the day that is past. Woo. This has got some like Job kind of feel to it, doesn't it? So the angel's saying, look at you, 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 you totally misunderstand what God's doing here. You don't understand what's going on here. You know, and you're, you're just blaming him, you know, that he's ignoring everybody and they're getting wealthy and doing good and you've been serving him and you're, you're getting the raw end of the deal. And he goes, you know, I'll, t I'll tell you what you need to know if you can tell me this, you know, how much does fire weigh? Uh, can you measure the wind? How much wind is blowing? Or can you call back for me the day that has passed? And there's a reason why he, he used these three things because these are days, these are everyday things like time, fire, and wind that Ezra experiences. And later on, you'll see, if you can't understand these things that are in your world, you're never gonna understand the things of God that are not in your world. Um, so there's, there's a sense of this. Let me just stop right here on call back for me the day that has passed because here's our time travel you know, I mean, how many movies are there about time travel, right? I mean, you've even hear, heard me, uh, like, last Friday, Freedom Friday, I talked a lot about parallel universe colliding. It was different in my universe where I came from. And, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I, I believe in get a time machine and that you can, you know, uh, quantum uh, physics or string theory, you know, they talk about you, you go back and change something in the past it breaks off and creates a parallel history that exists, right? And then you try to go back and correct that, and then it, it creates another pal parallel um, universe, basically. It's, it's a, it's a multi multiverse theory. And so as you keep doing it, you create all these different multiverses. So you exist in one multiverse, you exist in another multiverse, and blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, if they all converge, you know, what's going to happen? Who's going to win out? I don't know. And... um. It's the theory of multiverse. There's other theories about, like, it's like a loop theory, you know, that it's just linear, but as you go back in time and change something, it, it continues back until you get to that time, and then you loop back and then change it, and you know what I mean? So there's 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 different quantum theories, string theories, quantum um, time stuff. Well, there's movies after movies. There's books. There's documentaries on 
time travel. Uh, you get on YouTube and find people on there that uh, claim to have come from, you know, the future and they're back to you. There's the movie Back to the Future where, you know, McFly goes back and plays rock and roll in his high school or whatever. So, you know, you have you have this theme over and over again in the movies and entertainment in Hollywood. But here you have the angel, an angel sent from God giving truth to Ezra. And it says, call back for me the day that is past if you can. In other words, you can't weigh fire and you can't measure when. You're not going to be able to call back the day that is past. It says right there, you can't go in the past. You can't time travel. You just That's, that's a, a lie. <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen. What I now this is Paul's opinion, okay, so let me let me put this out. But um time travel is not possible. God created time when he created the sun and the moon and the stars to be used for time. God is timeless. He's not, he's not bound by that creation he made. We are bound by time. Um and there's going to be a period when we're not bound by time anymore, when we become spiritual beings again, right? So time travel to the past is not possible, neither is it to the future, folks. But if you're one who who believes in, in CERN doing things, I know CERN is doing some stuff out there with their atom smasher. They're doing things out there. And, and of course, you know, most of you probably have heard of Mandela effect and quantum time, you know, jumps and parallel universes and things like that. My personal opinion is I believe CERN is manipulating the current time, that they do manipulate where we're at right now. But they're not changing the past. Um, if, if you know anything about like the, I hate this term Mandela effect, I'd rather use quantum you know, uh, quantum time leaps or quantum changes. If you know anything about that or, or seen stuff like that, like the Mandela effect is what is what's properly called. That's why you could see residual evidence of how it used to be. Uh, I'm going to give you a real life history. Last week, Miss Capow and I went out to dinner with some friends. We went out to dinner with another couple, and this the female used to really watch, I mean, was really addicted to the movie, or not the movie, the series Sex in the City, Sex in the City. And the guy was really um, into Friends. <laughs> so, you know, we were having this conversation about these uh, sitcoms, basically. And what I noticed is that she constantly referred to, and she's in her 50s, she's in her 50s, right? She constantly referred to the show as Sex in the City, Sex in the City. And I didn't say anything because this wasn't the couple or the time to say this kind of a thing. But um, I talked about it with Miss Capow later on. In my mind, when she kept saying it, I kept thinking, well, she has no idea that now it's called Sex and the City. And if you go back and try to find old DVDs and you try to find the old shows and, and blah, 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 it's sex and the city, sex and the city. It's never was sex in the city, apparently, according to this manipulated time frame. 
to try to make you think that history was changed and now it's sex and the city. What was changed and manipulated, in my, in my opinion, is our current timeline, the only timeline. But see, Satan is the great liar. He's the great deceiver who goes out and deceives the nations. So it doesn't surprise me that using quantum physics or CERN or black holes or atom smashers, that they would manipulate certain things. It's like the lion and the lamb. There's all kinds of residual evidence that it was lion and the lamb, but now it's wolf and the lamb in Isaiah, you know, and other Bible things that are in there. All right. So, I mean, that's just like, but that's like a real life story that just happened a couple of days to me where I thought she has no idea if she were to look that up. I mean, it would have been interesting conversation if I would have just said, well, well, you know, Deanna, it never is sex in the city. It was sex and the city. She says, no, it's not. Get out of here. You know, and I said, well, look, get, get, get your phone out. I want you to Google sex um, in the city and see what comes up. And she would have found all the sex and the city. And it would have been great, ha, ha, ha. But it wasn't the time, nor did those people have the mentality to handle what that would have, would have ensued, all right? But that's, that's just an example of some residual evidence. Well, there couldn't be residual evidence if history itself has changed. There would be no residual evidence because the history itself would be changed. It would be a split, you know, parallel universe, all right? Um, so... So the Moeds, you know, the appointed times of God, he has appointed times. He has Moeds, they're appointed times. He had an appointed time for, for him to become flesh on this earth, and he also has an appointed time for the day of, of the Lord when he's going to end all time and end this satanic age, right? There's an appointed time that he has for demonic destruction. And... That can only, it can't be changed. It can only, the attempt can only be made to manipulate that time currently, but to no avail. That's, that's the only thing Satan has. Is, see, in Daniel, Daniel writes about this beast system, right? Who many call the Antichrist and, you know, but he, he's, he's writing about this system or this particular, if you want to believe in a one-world leader, an antichrist, he writes about this and says he will seek to change times. Well, that Hebrew word is moeds. He will seek to change God's appointed times, moeds. My opinion, it could mean nothing about that, but that's, I'm just telling you, that's my opinion what I what I guess what I want to, you to take out of it is that you can't call back the day that has passed. There is no time travel. So what you're seeing in Hollywood and all that stuff is part of a satanic deception, just like the alien invasion and all that other nonsense. All right? It has relevance for us, I believe. Let me continue. Verse 6, chapter 4. I answered and said, who of those that have been born can do this that you ask me concerning these things? Ezra says, I, I can't, you know, I can't do what you're talking about. You know, you know better than that. I can't, I can't weigh fire. Um, and the angel, whoops, lost my place again. Wow. Okay. Mm, hold on a second. Hold on a second. 
And the angel said to Ezra, if I had asked you how many dwellings are in the heart of the sea or how many streams are at the source of the deep or how many streams are above the firmament or which are the exits of hell or which are the entrances of paradise, perhaps you would have said to me, I never went down into the deep nor into hell, nor did I ever send into heaven. But now I have asked you only about fire and wind and the day, things through which you have passed and without which you cannot exist, and you have given me no answer to them. And he said to to me, you cannot understand the things with which you have grown up. How then can your mind comprehend the way of the Most High? And how can one who is already worn out by the corrupt world understand incorruption? Woo. Okay, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Let me start with this. Had I asked you how many dwellings are in the heart of the sea, right? Dwellings. How many houses are there? I don't know. What are you talking about, dwellings in the sea? I don't know. You ask. You answer me. How many streams are at the source of the deep? Okay, I think uh, our modern-day thought process agrees that there are streams or currents under the deep of the sea, right? But he could be talking under the deep of the earth. I don't know. But then he says, how many streams are above the firmament? Oh, let's stop right there. Firmament. We all know in Genesis about the firmament. Now, I'm going to say here, there's nothing in this statement that says the earth is flat-like or that it's not a round spinning ball through space, but it's more of a of a uh, enclosed dome, snow globe type of, uh, of uh, creation. There's nothing in here that says that. What it does say is that there is a firmament that contains water above it. Mm-hmm. Now, I now here. Just bear with me. I'm not asking you to believe in a flat Earth or a spinning ball. I'm not asking you to believe either one of those or to refute any one of those. What I'm telling you, what I'm asking you to know that this is a fact, is that whether we believe in a flat earth or not, the ancient Jews did. The ancient Jewish cosmology believed in a earth that was under a dome called the firmament and that God lived in the heavens above that and that the earth uh was suspended by God. They did not believe the earth was a round spinning ball. Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, I guess his last name, wrote an excellent book about uh, the Nephilim and Enoch and things like that. Just a wonderful, wonderful book. I just recently read it not too long ago. Very scholarly work. Uh, it's, it's, it's written, you can read it, but it's, it's definitely writ. It's a textbook. It's, it's, his references are right on. His appendixes are just, uh, just amazing. He is a is a biblical scholar by all sense of any word. He's he's a scholar. He does not believe in a flat Earth, but what he says, there's no doubt that the ancient Jews did. Personally, I see a real problem with that because if if you believe that these ancient writings 
were um, given to these these men and prophet by God, and they believed the cosmology of a world. And now you're saying our science has proven them wrong. Uh, I think we have s- some issues here, especially when there's so much evidence that NASA and uh, you know space travel and everything is uh, just not possible. Seriously. Uh, also, the the blue marble. I think probably most of you know that that didn't appear till the seventies, and that it's a composite allegedly of different satellite images that somebody then puts on a ball for you. That's why the blue marble has changed over over years. It, it's gone through different changes. The Earth never looks the same in these pictures, uh, or hasn't consistently looked the same because there is no picture anyway. I don't want to get off on that because I'll lose half the audience. Um, But suffice it to say that the ancient Jews believed in a cosmology that is not uh, believed in today. They did not believe in a spinning globe or a planet or a ball spinning through there. They believed the earth was the center and that the sun and the moon and the stars came out of portals and rotated over the earth. Whereas our belief system, not our, not mine, but modern day belief system believes it's heliocentric. The sun is the center of everything. The sun is the center of worship (laughs) and we all worship around it. But the ancient Jews didn't see it that way. So he's talking about the waters above the firmament. So before you dismiss that, we have um, we have an ancient cosmology belief system here that the land is covered above by a firmament or the heavens. And above that firmament, above that level of heavens, there's water. And I want you to think floodgates of heaven opened up in the Noetic flood. Now, this could be just a bunch of clouds also, but let me throw this out to you. Genesis seven eleven says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of the month, 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The word floodgates is portals or, uh, you know, windows, holes. It could just be a lot of cloud, a lot of rain. You know, you do with it what you will. Uh, But the ancient Jewish thought process believed there were streams. The angel Uriel says how many streams are above the firmament? Right? And of course we could go to uh, Genesis. Go to the very beginning here. Let's see if we can find that real quick. And Genesis 1-7, and God made the expanse. That means an extended surface, an expanse, expanse of heaven sometimes, rakia. God made the expanse, and he separated the waters which were below from the waters which were above. The expanse, or the rakia, the extended surface, and he, and it was so. 
The King James, this is that was from the NASB. The King James uses the word firmament. The NASB uses the word expanse. The concept's exactly the same. God made the expanse or the firmament, and he separated the waters which were below the expanse. Those would be the waters in our ocean from the waters which were above the expanse. Those are waters we know nothing about. <laughs> All right. Ancient cosmology versus modern NASA government space program. Whatever. I personally believe in ancient cosmology because that's what the Bible dictates. And I have not seen evidence of that being untrue. But let's move on. He goes on, how many streams above the firmament um, or which are the exits of hell or which are the entrances of paradise? I don't know what to tell you about that. You know, exits of hell, I mean, just my speculate, remind me of portals. Entrances of paradise, I mean, can we be talking about hollow earth here? I, I'm not sure. I really don't know. But there's something there. Um, the book of Enoch or the books of Enoch, uh, especially the cosmo cosmology sections, talk a lot about these portals that go in and out and things like that. So anyway, there's there's deeper stuff here. Let me move on. Verse 8 says, perhaps you would have said to me, you know, I never went to the deep. I don't know this, blah, blah, blah. And so the angel's saying, well, you know, if you can't understand the things that are all around you, how are you going to understand these things? Now, check this out. And he goes, and how can one who is already worn out by the corrupt world understand incorruption? Hmm. Where have we heard that before? Let me go to 1 Corinthians 15.50. Paul writes, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't this what Ezra's saying? How can you understand and comprehend the ways of the Most High, the kingdom of God, when you're already worn out by the corrupt world? How can you understand something that's that's as incorruption? So Paul says virtually the same thing. I say this, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Paul's talking about resurrection here. Verse 53 says, For this corruptible, this corruptible, that's us, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We cannot be immortal. We cannot have eternal life while in the flesh. We've got to be back in the spirit. The angel Uriel tells Ezra this thousands of, well, at least hundreds of years, I should say, I'm saying thousands, forgive me, hundreds of years before Paul wrote this. Did, did Paul just kind of make this up out of his head, you think? You think this is something that he just, I don't know. It could have been revealed to Paul, but it's the same thing that was revealed to Ezra through the angel Uriel. Or perhaps maybe it was the ancient Jewish mindset that we miss. 1 Corinthians 15.54 says, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah, the angel says, you who are already worn out by corrupt world, by the corrupt world, how can you understand incorruption? 
You can't understand the ways of God when you're down here. And Ezra says, when I heard this, I fell on my face and I said to him, it would be better for us not to be here. When he says here, he doesn't mean Babylon. He means here on, lack of a better term, prison planet. Here on, in this, lack of a better term, matrix. The satanic, luciferian, lie, physical world, this dimension that we got thrown into in the fall in the garden. The probation that we're under. He says it would be better for us not to be here than to come here and live in ungodliness. It's heavy stuff, folks. I know. It's the world, the Luciferian system that we're in right now. That's what he's talking about. And he says it would be better not to even come here and to live in this ungodliness and to suffer and not understand why. Because a lot of us don't understand it. Because, well, we were never shown this book either that answers those ancient questions. And there's a reason why we were never shown this book. Because somebody doesn't want you to know these ancient answers. Make sense? Because he's a liar. He's a deceiver. Verse 13 says, He answered me and said, I went into a forest of trees of the plain, right? He's, 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 he's given him a parable. The angel says, I went into a forest of trees of the plain, and they made, the trees, right, made a plan. <coughs> Excuse me. And the trees said, come, let us go and make war against the sea that it may recede before us and that we may make for ourselves more forest. And in like manner, the waves of the sea also made a plan and said, come, let us go and subdue the forest of the plain so that there also we may gain more territory for ourselves. But the plan of the forest was in vain, for the fire came and consumed it. Likewise, the plan of the waves of the sea, for the sand stood firm and stopped them. So the angel asked Ezra, now if you were a judge between them, which would you undertake to justify and which to condemn? And Ezra says, well, each has made a foolish plan, for the land is assigned to the forest, and to the sea is assigned a place to carry its waves. And Uriel says to Ezra, you have judged rightly, but why have you not judged so in your own case? For as the land is assigned to the forest and the sea to its waves, so also those who dwell upon earth can understand only what is on the earth. And he who is above the heavens can understand what is above the height of the heavens. Above the height of the heavens. You get it? Above the firmament. Then I answered, Ezra answers and says, I beseech you, my Lord, why have I been endowed with the power of understanding? So basically, Uriel just kind of kicked Ezra's butt there um, with his little parable saying, there's no way you're going to understand this because you know everybody has their place and your place is down here right now. Yeah. So uh, Ezra continues, why have I been down with the power of understanding? For I did not wish to inquire about the ways above. He's frustrated. Totally frustrated at this point. And I think we all, we would all sense that frustration also, right? Like, what are you telling me all this stuff for? You know, I, he says, I do not wish to inquire about the ways above, but about those things which we daily experience. Why Israel has been given over to the Gentiles as a reproach? Why the people whom you loved has been given over to godless tribes. 
and the law of our fathers has been made of no effect, and the written covenants no longer exist. See, he's talking about the destruction of all God's law during the exile. And why we pass from the world like locusts, and our life is like a mist. And we are not worthy to obtain mercy. But what will he do for his name by which we are called? It is about these things I have asked. So the angel answers and says, if you are alive, you will see. And if you live long, you will often marvel because the age is hastening too swiftly to its end, right? So we, we know that this is written about 400 years before Christ or about 2,500 years before. Uh, you know, to us, but we remember a day to the Lord is as a thousand years. And so later he explains why the Lord has long suffering and mercy, but that the, that the, the age is, is hastening swiftly to its end. Even back then he, he, he prophesies it's, it's going to end. And he says, for it will not be able to bring the things that have been promised to the righteous in their appointed times. Because this age is full of sadness and infirmities. So, the, so God's moeds, see, there, God has a moed. There are things that have been promised to the righteous. We, he, he sees through that Christ is coming, going to bring righteousness. This age, the way it is, can't fulfill those things. So it has to go. This is what the beast system seeks to change. It seeks to change times, moeds. It doesn't want this to happen. For the evil about which you ask me has been sown, but the harvest of it has not yet come. If therefore that which has been sown is not reaped, and if the place where the evil has been sown does not pass away, the field where the good has been sown will not come. That should sound very familiar to all of us. For a grain of evil seed was sown in Adam's heart from the beginning. And how much ungodliness it has produced until now and will produce until the time of threshing comes. Let's go to Matthew 13, 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Verse 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Doesn't that sound familiar? He says, the evil about what you ask me has been sown, but the harvest has not yet come. The harvest has to come to get rid of the evil before the good can come. The age has to end. The age has to end. Uh, let's look at... Okay. Uh, Matthew 13, 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted, bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. 
allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn, right? So then later on, he explains that parable. He talks, he tells, he tells them what it is because they don't understand it, right? So he, he tells them what it is. And the reapers are the angels at the end of the age. The reapers are the angels at the end of the age. Um, let's see. In Matthew, yeah, Matthew 13, 26, he put forth uh, the saying to King Mahazak, so blah, blah, blah. I just read that. This is in King James. Um, the, 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 but he said, nay, let them grow up together, the harvest, gather up together, the wheat and my barn. Yeah, it's just, it's the same thing. It's, he talks about the grain of the mustard seed, but, um, he explains it in verse 37 when the disciples ask him to explain it to him. He says, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. See, that's a satanic system. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. That is us if we have faithfulness in Christ, right? But the tares are the children of the wicked one. That's the serpent seed. Those are those who rejected God. And the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. So he says, therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world or age, aeon, right? Aeon. The, the, the evils, it's going to end first, folks. So this isn't some rapture <coughs> scripture or anything like that. It could it'd be, you know, uh, the, the, the wheat isn't taken out first and then the world left to burn. He's saying it's going to end, and it has to end before uh, the good stuff could to come out. He says, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels. Remember, those are the reapers, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. He's not gathering out of the kingdom the good stuff. He's gathering the offensive stuff and them which do iniquity. That's what he's gathering. And he's going to cast them into the furnace of fire. There's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then shall the righteous, the, the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears, let him hear. Yeah, who has read Ezra, let him understand that. The righteous uh, those who have put on the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Right? We, 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 uh, we went through that. So that, now we can understand that a little better now, can't we? So um, let's go back to Ezra, 4th Ezra, verse 31, chapter 4 says, Consider now for yourself how much fruit of ungodliness a grain of evil seed has produced. When heads of grain without number are sown, how great a threshing floor they will fill. Isn't that just what Jesus said in this parable? 400 years before Jesus used that parable and explained it, it was given to Ezra by Uriel. Then Ezra answered and said, how long and when will these things be? Why are our years few and evil? So now Ezra wants to know, what's the end times here? It's almost the same question as the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, when they came out of the temple. You know, what's the sign of your coming? And, you know, when will these things happen? And, and this Uriel, 
says to Ezra, he says, you do not hasten faster than the Most High. In other words, you know, you can't rush this stuff. You don't understand God. You can't rush God. You can't, you can't hasten faster than the Most High. For your haste is for yourself. Isn't that true? You know, every day I'm like, oh, God, will you just come back? Will you, re- will you destroy these, these idiots? Will you be done with it and pull the plug? It's over. The experiment's over, right? You know, every day I say that. But it's selfish, right? Because I want to get out of here. You know, I'm not thinking about. I'm not thinking about the guy who just might repent. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, it's you know, it's got to be over. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a bad part of my human nature. Hey, don't say you haven't done it too. And everybody says, but your haste is for yourself. But the highest hastens on behalf of many. See, so God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He really, he, that he, he hopes that everybody would come to repentance. And the angel says, did not the souls of the righteous, well, let me stop there, uh, where it says, for the haste for yourself, but the highest hastens on behalf of many. Um, I thought this was, it was kind of an interesting, um, oh my goodness, this thing keeps messing with me. It keeps losing my place. Ah, to the field, I said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, where am I at? Hasten, hasten, hasten. Here we go. Why does it do this to me? Why? I'm on Kindle Reader on the cloud. Maybe that's why. Uh, okay. You do not hasten faster than the most high, for your haste is for yourself, but the highest hastens on behalf of many. Check out Second Peter 3.8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, and as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Holy moly, folks. Peter wrote that. Hundreds of years later. And it's the same verbatim in context. Same thing. You think Peter might have read some of this uh, ancient Jewish literature? I don't know. But hey, you know, don't let us read it. We might learn something. And it goes on, did not the souls of the righteous, check this one out. You guys are going to like this. Did not the souls of the righteous in their chambers ask about these matters? What matters were the, were the righteous souls in their chambers? What is he talking about? He's talking about souls that have died. Righteous souls in the past, in the past, who have died. They're in their chambers. What chambers are there? In? They're in the Sheol. They're in the underground chambers of Sheol. And the, the angels saying, didn't they ask about these matters? Here's what these, the dead souls of the righteous that are in Sheol said to God. How long are we to remain here? And when will come the harvest of our reward? And Jeremiah, the archangel, answered them. See, this is Uriel telling the story. So this is another angel who answered the dead righteous souls that are in Sheol saying, how long are we going to be here? And when will come the harvest of our reward? When are you going to punish the earth for, for doing this? 
And Jeremiah, the archangel, answered them and said, when the number of those like yourselves is completed, for he has weighed the age in the balance and measured the times by measure, these are the moeds, and numbered the times by number, and he will not move or arouse them, the moeds, the numbers, the times, until that measure is fulfilled. Wow. There are righteous dead souls in Sheol, and they're crying out to God, when are you going to remove us from here and avenge us? Right? And they're told there are certain measures that need to be fulfilled, certain things or certain times, and nothing's going to happen until that's done. That's what they're told. Now, let me take you to Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And if this doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God for the logos of God, and for the testimony, for the witness or testimony which they held. So they're righteous souls, are they not, under the altar? They're righteous souls that are dead under the altar that John sees, and guess what? And they cried with a loud voice saying, guess what? They said, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. Wow. Verbatim in content. Verbatim in content. Verse 11, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest yet a little while until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they. Those are the measures that must be fulfilled. The souls of the righteous in their chambers ask about the same matters. How, Lord, when, how long? And they say, when will the harvest of our reward? Number one, when are you going to revenge our blood? Just like in Revelation. And the angel says, when the number like yourselves is completed. It's the same thing in Revelation. When those of your brethren are killed like you are, it's the same thing. And Ezra talks about weighing of the, the balance of the number by number. He's not going to move or arouse to those things happen. They're moeds. That's why the evil Luciferian wants to change. He seeks to change times, seeks to change moeds. He wants to prevent this from happening. It's not time travel. It's called current manipulation of the matrix we live in. Then I answered, I said, O sovereign Lord, but all of us are also full of ungodliness. And it is perhaps on our account of us that the time of threshing is delayed for the righteous on account of the sins of those who dwell on the earth. So Ezra's starting to get it. Maybe maybe that's why it's delayed because, you know, because of us. And he answered me and he said, go and ask a woman who was with child, if when her nine months have been completed, her womb can keep the child within her any longer. And I said, no, Lord, it cannot. And he said to me, in Hades, the chambers, right? I said Sheol, but in Greek, it's Hades. Same concept. 
In Hades, the chambers of the souls are like the womb. These places where the righteous dead are or all the dead are, they're just like a womb. He says, for just as a woman who's in travail makes haste to escape the pangs of birth, so also do these places hasten to give back those things that were committed to them from the beginning. In other words, as the end of the age approaches, Hades, hell, Sheol, the sea, everywhere that has these souls are going to give them up. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, 1621, a woman, when she is in travail, have sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born unto the world. This is in context of prophecy. Christ is talking about the end times when he made the statement. He's talking about the travail of the woman. So is the angel Uriel 400 years earlier. Revelation 12, 2 says, And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Uh, that's the woman clothed with the sun under the head and the 12 stars and the moon at her feet, right? The Revelation 12 woman is travailing in labor pain. But check this one out. Revelation 20, 13, and tell me if this is verbatim in content. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, or Hades, right, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. They want to give it up. And I just, I just found that so fascinating. We have spent, and when I say we, I mean me, you, scholars have spent so much time trying to decipher the book of Revelation. And there's theories, and everybody has come up with this, and oh, you know, I mean, there's so many books that are written that I got it, you know, here's the interpretation. And you know what? If we'd be honest with ourselves, we don't understand it. You, You can't say you understand it. Well, part of the problem is, is, and I hope you can see this, is that the book of Revelation is very Jewish, more Jewish than, a, you know, a lot of the New Testament books, we think, because it all goes back to the Jewish, ancient Jewish thought. But you can't really understand that book of Revelation until you understand and read like books like Ezra here, fourth Ezra, because then it starts making sense. He's talking about the end of the age. He's talking about the birth pangs, that when it gets that close, he can't hold it any longer, and the dead will be given up for judgment. It's an answer to Ezra's question about how long. What I'm saying is to understand a lot of Paul's writings, the book of Revelation, a lot of the sayings of Jesus, we have to understand these other ancient books that have been kept from us, plain and simple. They were men on councils, the Nicene Council, Council of Trent, on and on, that decided you and I didn't need to read these books because they weren't inspired in their opinion. And we bought that hook, line, and sinker. And because we bought that hook, line, and sinker, We've never had the fullness of the truth 
until now that there's people like me and a bunch of others who just refuse to believe the lies anymore. We just refuse to believe them. We, we're breaking out of the matrix. We broke out. Hopefully you have too. Verse 43, then the things that you desire to see will be disclosed to you, Ezra. And Ezra answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, and if it's possible, and if I'm worthy, okay, show me this too. Show me this also. Whether more time is to come than has passed or whether for us the greater part has gone by. Ezra wants to know how much time do we have left. We've all asked that question. For I know what has gone by, but I do not know what is to come. Please tell me. You know, is it a long ways off or what? And the angel told Ezra, stand at my right side and I will show you the interpretation of a parable. So he shows him this, this parable, this vision. So I stood and looked and behold, a flaming furnace passed by before me. And when the flame had gone by, I looked and behold, the smoke remained. And then after that, I saw a cloud full of water. It passed before me. It poured down a bunch of rain, heavy, violent rain. And when the rainstorm had passed, drops remained in the clouds. Right? We all can relate to that. Smoke left after fire, you know, drizzle after a heavy rain. And so the angel says to Ezra, consider it for yourself. As, as, for as the rain is more than the drops and the fire is greater than the smoke, so the quantity that passed was far greater, but drops and smoke remained. That's good news for us, folks, because 400 years before Christ, Ezra was saying the vast majority of time has already passed, and now it's just just drops are going to come. So in my humble opinion, we are pretty darn close to the end of this age, and I think that's why these teachings are coming out now. I think that's why God is, is showing me Personally, a lot of this stuff in these ancient writings and so many others, so many other followers of Christ, followers of the way, right? Followers of the way. God is showing and revealing to these these, these people incredible things now. Um, and I think now's the time to listen up. It, it, we, have to, we have to get rid of the tradition. We have to... Open ourselves to the to the truth of God's word, where they're written. Let me conclude with this. In verse 51, it says, Then I prayed and said, Do you think that I shall live until those days, or will or who will be alive in those days? Ezra's asking the same things we ask now. Do you think I'm gonna live to the end of the age? Do you think I'm gonna see this stuff? Who's gonna be alive in those days? You're showing me, you're telling me all this stuff about the end times. What's going on? Am I gonna be here? And the angel answered Ezra and said, concerning the signs about which you ask me, I can tell you in part, I can just tell you a little bit about it, but I was not sent to tell you concerning your life for I do not know. And this reminds me of Mark 13, 32, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven. This is angel Uriel talking. Neither the son, but the father. Only, only the father knows the moed, the very end uh, times. Angel says, I do not know. Now I'm gonna uh, end this 
this podcast right now, but I have to tell you, come back next week, Lord willing, chapter five, I don't know if I'll get to six, but chapter five then starts talking about these very signs about the end times that Uriel said concerning the signs which you asked me, I can tell you in part. Then in chapter five, he begins to talk about these signs. And I got to tell you, folks, some of it, you know, unless the Lord gives me more, you know, like revelation during the week, some of it, you know, I got to say, I just don't know what he's talking about because it's pretty bizarre. Pretty bizarre. I don't know why it's bizarre, you know, why it's in there, but it's 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 not something that, you know, uh, reading it now that I could I could explain. But we're going to go ahead and go through it and power through it together. And, um, you know, uh, I pray that the Lord opened up your brain and your heart and your wisdom and you come up with stuff. If you come up with something, let me know, you know. Paul at Kapow Radio Show. Pretty simple. You can get a hold of me through Fifth Hook Media at fifthhookmedia.com. You know, uh, I think we're at the very precipice of the end here. So let's, man, let's get everything we can, man. Let's, let's, let's get it all sealed up, all right? Well, I'm over an hour and a half into the show. I apologize for that, but. It's good stuff, man. It's meat. It's a good, heavy meal. So sit back and digest it. Chew on it. Think about it. And we'll see you next week. Really. God bless you.
life was a thrill You knew tomorrow would be better still Things have changed, you're much older now If you're unhappy and you don't know how Why don't you look in?